Welcome back to another episode of our special mini-series on the opioid epidemic brought to you by the IFF Health and Safety Division. My name is Sarah Burns. I'm a behavioral health specialist at the IFF. Today, we'll be hearing from Brian Nee. Brian is a member of Boston Local 718 and is in recovery from opioid use. We'll also hear from someone who is central to Brian's recovery, Lieutenant William Ostagai. Deciding to publicly share one's story of recovery from substances isn't easy. So Brian, thank you for sharing your strength with us today. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. Brian, how did you start using opioids? Was that while you were a member of the fire department or before? It was before I was a member of the fire department. I grew up in this place called South Boston, referred to as Salty in Massachusetts. And as a young kid, I started drinking and using other substances and that all progressed. And when I was 18 years old, I was introduced to opiates. Initially, it wasn't a problem right away, but as time went on, it became a lot worse. What was that addiction to opiates like for you? What impacts did it have on your life over time? It was hell. I was fortunate. I went to a great high school. And right when I was finishing up high school, that's when I was introduced to opiates. At the beginning, it was great. They made you feel great and you could do anything. Then I went to college. I went to UMass Amherst, Massachusetts. And that was the first time I was away from my family and my addiction just took off. I was fortunate to stop at 22, but from the age of 18 to 22, my life was a living hell. I don't know if people are familiar with opiates, but every day I would wake up and be physically sick. At the beginning, it was more emotionally addicted, not physically, but as time goes on with opiates, you become physically addicted to them. Every day I would wake up sick and just like the longer you you're on opiates, the more you need. So obviously the more you need, the more expensive it is. The more expensive it is, the more you need, different things you need to do to get them opiates. So every day I'd wake up and like, how am I gonna get them today? And I wanted to stop every day or at the end, I just wanted to die. Like I couldn't go through this pain anymore. And I would try to stop on my own and I'd make it a day or two, but the, the physical withdrawals is, it is horrible. And I would just give in each time. And this was back in 1998. So there was a lot of stigma, and especially in the neighborhood I lived in, like you didn't talk about anything outside of your home. So there was a lot of enabling going on. Um, I wanted to stop, but I just didn't know how to stop. And I didn't know where, where to go. I was still working at the time. And what happened was, um, I worked for a different public safety place and we used to have drug testing and it would be random drug testing. But this time they use, usually it would be urine drug testing. And I could have beat that at that time, but this time they decided to cut my hair and go back three months and the gig was up. So everyone knew now about the addiction to opiates and it was time to get help. And I always wanted help, but I was just afraid to get it. And the stigma was a big part of me not getting help. So at this point, it was it was clear. People were finding out about the addiction. You wanted help and weren't sure where to turn to get it. 
You mentioned um, that when your family and others found out about your addiction, you were fortunate that your father was a Boston firefighter um, and knew about the resources that were available through the EAP and that you know your father took you and you met with someone named Lieutenant uh, William Ostagai. My father was a firefighter in Boston and I'm so, so blessed that we had one of the first EAPs in the country for firefighters. I would refer to that EAP these days as probably more like a peer support model program. All the people who worked in that EAP were firefighters and they were all in recovery. And there was a gentleman down there, Lieutenant William Ostergaard. I knew the name and he was the person that you didn't want to see. Even though I wasn't on the fire department, I still heard that name around the city because he helped so many alcoholics and drug addicts. But my father brought me down to him. Like I said, they were still had that stigma part with them. They didn't want people to know what was going on in their house. Um, so they brought me down there for the first time I got honest with someone and I was there for about 10 minutes. And next thing you know, I was put into long-term treatment, which saved my life. Lieutenant Ostagai has a long legacy with the Boston Fire Department helping countless members and their families with substance use problems. His dad brought him down, and he was obviously having a major problem with substances, alcohol and substances. And I actually uh, grew up with his father. It was, it was one of those meetings that hard to forget. You know, his dad's a stand-up guy. He's sitting there crying. Son's wants to be anywhere but where he was at the time. And fortunately, after the meeting, Brian went into treatment. And Brian has stayed sober since. It's got to be 22 or 23 years. And, uh, you know, he eventually got on the department. He eventually actually uh, come down and worked at DAP. What better person than someone that's been there? And uh, he served there for a while until he got promoted to lieutenant. I mean, he's just he's furthered his education in this area. He graduated from UMass with a bachelor's. I mean, he gets it. We're kind of all about second chances. We always have been. We're about helping people, not judging them. So, Brian, tell us about the kinds of treatment that you received. I was fortunate. Back then, they were more willing to let people go to 30-day treatment. And I went to a place for 30 days. And then when I got out, they had me in an intensive outpatient where I'd go meet three times a week. And for me, AA was brought into my life and is still here today. And I continue to go to AA. Um, But for me, having that 30 days to be away from my environment and not being tempted to go get drugs or alcohol. And that's what would always happen. I would be at home and I would try to stop on my own. And then I would go out and I would see someone. And before you know it, I was back using them and it would progress to get worse and worse and worse. But long-term treatment, I was fortunate enough to go to. And what types of things do you do these days to maintain your recovery? I'm still involved in recovery meetings. That helps me. I tried to help other people. That's what was taught to me right from the beginning. Like somebody helped you. That is your mission is to help someone else. And obviously 
when I help someone else, I'm always helping myself. And it is so hard right now. I wasn't on the fire department when I was addicted to opiates, but I see members who hurt their back at a fire or fell down some stairs and then they get addicted to opiates and just watch their career go downhill and they're afraid to ask for help or just because they're afraid to lose the job and the stigma. It's getting a lot better, but it's still there. I've seen people get fired. I've seen people get into recovery, but with the opiates, it's a whole, whole different type of addiction. With your work as a licensed alcohol and drug counselor with the, the Boston EAP program that you mentioned is, is run entirely by firefighters, um, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges for firefighters to ask for help with addiction these days? I think it's just afraid of losing their job. And that's why the IAFF peer support has been so important because it's more educating people like, oh, you can get help before you get in trouble. Like you're not going to get in trouble. In Boston, we're very progressive. We even had people who have lost their jobs and were able to come back after showing that they're in recovery for a certain amount of time. I think that's the biggest thing. People worry they're going to lose their jobs or worried about other firefighters finding out and then not trusting them, not relying on them that much. So I think the educational part is so important and we try to do that through peer support or through the EAP. on an annual basis. I think much has been given to me, so much is expected of me. And somebody was good enough to help me, so it sounds simplistic, but in, in turn, my role is to help others. You know, it's not to judge them. They got enough people in their life judging them, whether it's the department, their family, whoever. And a lot of times, it's justified, no question about it. Um, but we've done a lot of good things in the last, Jesus, it's, it's almost, uh, I don't know, 30 years, whatever it is. But, you know, a lot of people's jobs have been saved. Their families have been saved. You mentioned um, Lieutenant uh, William Ostagai. Are you still in touch with him? Yes, he's he's been a role model in my life um, since that day. He, after a few years of being in recovery, he encouraged me to go back and get a college degree and become a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, get involved with the peer support team. He's always leading me down the right direction, but he also always reminding me, like, you need to help others because we were here to help you. You need to continue this on. So that's what I tried to do. It's like, if someone needs help, especially a firefighter, that's my job is to be there for them in that dark time. And I think in our department, we've done a great job. I see more and more young guys willing to come to help before they're in trouble, which which is huge. And I think that's a big part of the educational part, whether it's from the IFF or from Boston or just the news in general. I think we're doing a great job getting the message out there. Like There is help out there. Boston Fire uses two great treatment places, McLean Hospital and Marworth. We also use the Center of Excellence, but just for the IFF to come up with a program just for firefighters so they can go get help, I think is huge. I know other firefighters feel a lot safer when they're around other firefighters. Right. In that spirit of helping others who are where you've been, um, I know we, we probably have listeners who are using opioids or who are addicted um, what would you like to say to those listeners who are using opioids or are really early on in their recovery? 
just make that call, ask for help. Like I just mentioned, there's places you have the center of excellence where you can go there and just be all firefighters. And with the opiates, like it's not going to, you're not going to be able to stop on your own. You need long-term treatment. Uh, I mean, some people have, but it's, it's really, really hard with the opiates to stop on your own. You need to be in a medical facility. Um, especially, I mean, for myself, that's what I needed to do. And usually when I'm working with people, the ones who have the most success will go into long-term treatment, usually 30 days just to get away. Um, it takes a few weeks for the drugs to even get out of your system. So I would definitely recommend making that call to your, either your peer support team or just any other firefighter, just asking for help. All you can call, I don't have the number in front of me, but we have the IFF Center of Excellence number. Um, there's plenty of other places that cater to firefighters. Just make that call before you lose the job or lose your family. And most importantly, before you lose your life. Um, because I've seen that happen to a few firefighters over the last few years, um, a few close friends. And they didn't make that call. They didn't get help. And now they're gone. Like, I think a lot of times we put so much emphasis on like saving the job, saving a job. But with opiates, it's like you need to save your life and the job will be all right. In early recovery, it's just to stay active, stay busy. Um, for myself, it's AA meetings. As of right now, the IFF has recovery meetings online three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 12 o'clock, and then Sunday at 5. Right now is a hard time to be in early recovery, but you can find Zoom meetings all day long. Reach out to other members. Um, biggest thing for me in early recovery was connecting with other people especially connecting people who were going through the same thing I was going through. And it just made me, made me feel okay. Like, all right, I'm going to be all right. Like this ain't the end of the world. And that's what, that's how I felt when I was sitting in that treatment center. I was like, Oh my God, my life is over. What am I going to do? I just lost a job. Everything's awful. And like, honestly, that was losing that job was the best thing that ever happened to me because I would not have gotten in recovery then and who knows what would have happened in my life today everything good i have in my life is because of my recovery i know that and i need to participate in my recovery on a daily basis it looks different these days than it looked before but that's upfront with me all the time it's like i need to take care of myself so i can take care of others brian thank you so much for being here today and for being willing to share your story with our members and others and thank you for giving us permission to speak with Lieutenant Ostagai about your journey. The overarching message we want to put out is that help is available. There are people who have been there and gotten through it and who are willing to help you if you are struggling. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. It's so exciting to see what the IFF is doing to help our members. Like I said, I was fortunate to have someone help me back in 1998 and just having these videos and podcasts out there to help our members and let them know there is help out there for them. To access the other videos and podcasts in this series, visit opioidepidemic.iff.org. Content was supported by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences of the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Energy under award number UH4ES009759. The content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not necessarily represent the official views of the National Institutes of Health or the Department of Energy.